Amen. Father, we stand before you the only way we can, and that is because you're We pray, and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything and planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send planks among you. Then, if my people are called by name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore the land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Second Chronicles 7, 11, 16. Thank you very much, Taylor. You may be seated. Hey, it is uh, my privilege to get to introduce our speaker today. Um, Dr. Kyle DeRoberts, he is a professor, has been a professor of mine for a couple of my classes at Phoenix Seminary. He's also the um, department head of the Bible department at Arizona Christian, where Emma now attends, and so does her friend who's here today, Bree, right? Bray, Bray, this is Bray, everybody say hi, Bray. Um, and, um, and he is also the author of this book that we got some advanced copies of that uh, we're using. If you have not started reading it yet, there are still a few copies left out on the table. I want to encourage you guys, as I have been rereading it again, going through our reading plan um, that, we, that we have connected to the series with it, guys, it has really helped my heart to be a praying heart, I mean, in, in a different way. And so I'm just excited to have um, Kyle here this morning and to share his heart behind what he has learned about the secret to prayer. So would you do me a favor and just welcome Dr. Kyle DeRoberts. And I never get applause, by the way. He wants applause. We need to give him applause. Um, what a sweet time of worship. Uh, as it even just continues now, it is so good to be here uh, this morning. So it's my turn, though. Can I can I share a verse as well? And and so I'm a newbie. Uh, I'm a newbie here. Uh, but but as I was watching this, you're right. There was this this theme of word and words, and the importance of it. And then as I was observing and walking around, I've. Pastor Doug just talking about this place. It's a building, right? But you don't have to do setup and teardowns. This is a blessing from the Lord. And so I've been walking around just kind of uh, being joyful with him and with you guys in what God has provided. Uh, but then in the course of that, I've been able to kind of get a lay of the land and just to see the people that make up this church. And, and, and there's, there's lots of different ages, right? And so then I'm just drawn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4. And he says here, this is Moses, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall walk and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Uh, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, Church, you're doing this. Uh, You're doing this well. And it was just a joy to be here, even just for the beginning portion of this. Uh, Pray with me, would you? God, I love you, and we love you, and we just thank you for today. Thanks for letting us be a part of it. Um, We give you honor and praise and glory. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and the grace and the mercy that you extend and display there and that we return to, that we retreat to, that we flee to, um, because we know that you're there. We know what you have offered there. And so thank you. Thank you for using a sinner, a wretched and depraved sinner like me, along with these fellow wretched sinners to advance your kingdom. And so we just commit this time as it has already built us up, as it has already encouraged us. And we just pray that it would continue on uh, until this time ends and then until we're uh, permeating the world once again. But, but for this time, would you, just, would you just help me? Help me so that I might be helpful to these dear brothers and sisters in Christ so that in turn we all might be helpful to those that you've called us to love. Amen. So if you want, we're going to be spending time in our Bible this morning in 2 Chronicles. I don't know what I'm, am I doing something wrong here? Do I sound okay? Yeah? Okay, good. So we're going to be spending our time in 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 1 in particular, and then it was so beautifully read here right at the beginning. Who read that? Huh? Selah? Selah, that was beautiful. Where are you, Selah? Oh, Selah, that was beautiful. And so what I want to do is is I want to return to that because you read the verse, the verse for us. In 2 Chronicles 2, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name, what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Uh, I am convinced that Second Chronicles, an often foreign book to us, granted it can be dry, it can be boring, it's okay to admit that at times about the Bible, depending on where you're reading, right? Pick up Leviticus and let me know how that's going. Um, but one thing, though, that I, I think that if we re-approach Second Chronicles, particularly uh, with prayerful lenses, right, with prayerful eyes, you begin to see afresh what is the intention of God's heart, particularly in this Old, particularly in this Old Testament book, and that is the condition of our heart. Um, I am so thankful, you don't know what, it's kind of a surreal feeling seeing uh, that book sitting on, on tables and things like this because um, the reality is, is that this, this spawned from, this came and gave birth from a quote by Andrew Murray that said, the secret of secrets, humility is the soul of true prayer. I think he's right. I think he's right. And then, and then I set out and then I read the Bible from beginning to end and sure enough, he, he's, he's right And then when you get to then some of these Old Testament passages and New Testament passages, you end up finding out that what God cares most about 
It's not how eloquent our words are. It's not how sophisticated our words are. It's not about the posture. You can close your eyes. You can open your eyes. You can look up. You can look down, right? But what God cares most about is the heart that is producing the words in which you are speaking to him. This is what he is the most intent on. This is what he wants you to, do, wants you to be the most focused on. And so for us, yes, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, uh, he makes this abundantly clear, but I want to start at the beginning of 2 Chronicles. And what I want to do is just want to work our way through just a little while here uh, for these first, say, 13 verses. And I want us just to see, I want us to see God's interaction uh, with King Solomon. Uh, in that particular part of the book, in part two, we actually talk about Kings Jehoshaphat and Solomon, but for our time today, we'll just focus in on King Solomon, uh, which, will do us, which will do us well. Um, so here, let's jump in. So I, I don't know about you, I was always told um, that Solomon was rich. Uh, he was. Um, I was often told that he was wealthy and that he was also wise which he was. But the question that I find more interesting, though, is, is why was he those things? And this very first chapter in Second Chronicles helps flesh that out. And the why is, is I'm not here to preach to you to figure out how to, we can get you wealthy. I'm not here to preach to you to teach you how to get wisdom, right? But what I am, though, going to show you that is, in terms of his relationship with God, what mattered most was the condition and the content of Solomon's heart. So start with me in verse one. I'm gonna try and do this without my glasses. All right, so Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Um, we don't know who wrote Chronicles. We just call him the chronicler. Uh, but I think right here in terms of a thesis statement, one thing that this author of Second Chronicles is guiding our attention to is, is, hey, right off the bat, I want you to remember something. Solomon, he was great. He was exceedingly great. But where did he get his greatness from? He got his greatness from God. The Lord, his God, was with him. And because the Lord God was with him, this is what made him exceedingly great. Then you jump into verse 2 and he says, Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges, to all the leaders in all Israel, the heads of the father's houses. And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness was there. So, Verse 1 tells us of Solomon's greatness. Verses 2 through 3 here begin to demonstrate that, yeah, he was in fact great, right? All of these individuals were reporting to him. All of these individuals uh, were an observant of what Solomon wanted and desired. In verse 4 it says, But David had brought up the ark of God to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Verse 5, it says, Moreover, the bronze altar at Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And then it says this. This is kind of gross. Um, 
And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and there he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Right? That's a lot of offerings. It's an aggressive amount of offerings, some might say. Um, And so this is just something that we, right? But there is an extravagance here of burnt offerings. I mean, so so notice the extravagance here. Um, That must have smelled awful. And then in verse 7, it says this. It says, in that night, God appeared to Solomon. In what night? Well, in the night in which he had burnt all those burnt offerings, a thousand of them. And God said to Solomon, ask what I shall give you, right? This is the very moment of our lives. We've all been waiting for it, right? Me growing up, it was Robin Williams. Uh, For my college students, it's Will Smith, but the genie comes out of the bottle and asks you the question, ask whatever you'd like and I will give it to you. What would you ask for? You don't have to say this out loud, right? But what would you ask for? What kinds of things would you desire? In a room this size with these different amounts of personalities and people, I'm sure we would ask for all different kinds of things. But Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. I want you to notice something. Solomon's immediate response to God is to acknowledge his attributes. It's to declare who God is. The first thing that he does is he says, God, you are love. And then the second is, and you are sovereign. See, how did uh, 2 Chronicles 1 start off? It said, Solomon, the son of David, established himself and his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. The Chronicle knows where Solomon got his greatness from, but more importantly, Solomon knew where he got his greatness from. And so you have shown great and steadfast love to my father and have made me king in this place. Then in verse 9 it says, O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And then he says here, he says, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of whose? Of yours, which is so great. He's asking a question, and so he needs wisdom. I love this because what Solomon does is he asks for heavenly wisdom because he knows that his adventure isn't to lead earthly people, but it's to lead heavenly people. And so that in order to lead heavenly people, you need heavenly wisdom. Solomon knew this, and so he asks for this. And God answered Solomon, he said, because this was in your heart, you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not asked for even a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Uh, Later on, uh, we're going to, like any... Uh, sermon must do, any time of worship must do, is is we we reflect on who Jesus Christ is, the person and the work of Christ. And and one of the things that we will come to see uh, is that Jesus Christ is described as the very wisdom of God. 
Um, which is fascinating on so many different levels, but I can't help but think that there's a little bit of Solomon as he's asking for wisdom as Christians today, knowing the fulfillment of God's word, right? Being in the word of God, that there's this, there's this inkling, right? There's this itching, even now, even then, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people. There's a sense in which when you get to Second Corinthians, right, and you learn that Jesus is the wisdom of God, right, give me now wisdom, give me now um, Jesus and knowledge to go out and come in before this people for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. Um, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, he says in Second Chronicles 1.12. Uh, did God answer this prayer? Yeah, I mean, Solomon is often known as what? The wisest man to ever live, right? That would be quite the title. Uh, my children do not think that daddy is the wisest man to have ever have lived, uh, nor does my wife think that I am the wisest man to have ever lived, right? Uh, I'm not even sure my dog, right, uh, thinks that I am the wisest man to have ever lived. So, um, this, this is quite, quite a feat, but I want to read to you from 1 Kings. I'm going to start in chapter 4 and start in verse 29. I'm going to read down to 34, and then we'll actually, I think this will kind of bolster the argument, so to speak, just for anybody sitting there going, well, I don't know if he was really the wisest man that ever lived, Kyle. Well, it says here in 29 of 1 Kings 4, you don't need to go there if you don't want to, but I hear pages turning, so I feel bad. I feel like I should wait for you so you can get there. You good? So 1 Kings 4.29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, and Haman, and Kalkol, and Darda, and the sons of Mahol. I hope there's no more, I don't want to keep pronouncing these. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005 he spoke of trees. Apparently he was an expert in trees. From the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, he spoke also of beasts and of the birds and of reptiles and of fish. I went golfing with my oldest son yesterday. He played in a golf tournament in the afternoon, and so he needed to go to the restroom. And so when you're a boy, you've got some added advantages of being outdoors. And so, son, we, we don't have very much time. I asked the playing partners, so that was okay. And then so he, uh, we went over to this little area, and out came a massive reptile, a, um, a uh, what's the lizards? But the, the Gila monsters. He screamed, got back in the cart, and I said, well, let's just go over here. He goes, Dad, I don't need to go to the bathroom anymore. I was like, well, son, did you go in your pants? Like, what, are we okay? And he goes, no, we'll just, we'll, I'll, we'll wait till we're done. I'm like, okay, bud, we'll wait till we're done. So that took care of that. Um, and so, so he was an expert of these things. And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. 
this is, I, I, want you, I wanted to read this because I want you to see this. Um, so do you think God answered Solomon's prayer? He, he did. Um, now, we're going to get to in a moment as to why he answered this. I, I think the reason why is because what was in Solomon's heart. Right? Solomon had a humble heart. The condition of his heart was the same uh, from Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. Right? If my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Um, it's, it's the humility of his heart in which God is ultimately responding to. But there's more, right? This is this, this is the, this is, it, it gets better. So he asks for wisdom. God gives him wisdom. Uh, but then in addition to the wisdom in which God grants, and so this is what's different. See, I was always told, hey, um, Solomon, he was wise and he was um, wealthy, um, but this was because, look, you're King David's son. I mean, think of the wealth that, that he had had amassed. I mean, he's wise. When you're wise, you probably can make some pretty good business decisions, right? And then you can compound this wealth and maybe grow it into more wealth. And so I always just assumed, and maybe it's just me and that's okay, right? But I always just assumed that this was kind of a self-generated wealth. Like, that, like that, when you're the wisest man in the world, wouldn't it make sense that you're also maybe the wealthiest man in the world as well, right? Can you, can you generate this kind of wealth? Um, but even there, it, it continues on because here in verse 11, it says, And God answered Solomon, um, because this was not in your, uh, I'm sorry, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and, not, and have not even asked for a long life, but because you've asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people, over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And then he gives this great also. And I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who had, who were before you. None after you shall have the like. And so when I came to this point in the whole writing process of the book, I did the very thing that I tell my students never to do, which was go to Google to ask questions. <laughs> was Solomon really rich, right? The answer was yes, quite rich. By all accounts, his net worth was north of $2 trillion. So not only was he the richest man of his day, but he was the richest man, he's like in like the top 10 rankings, right, of all time. Do you see? So again, did God answer this prayer? Yes, he did. But God did not answer Solomon's prayer because he was David's son. God did not answer Solomon's prayer because he was a king. God did not answer Solomon's prayer because he had authority. Um, God knew what was in Solomon's heart and because of that, God gave him wisdom. Wisdom unlike anything the world had ever seen. God gave him wealth unlike anything the world had ever seen. Now, giving him wealth wasn't just as a uh, token of appreciation. See, David, for the longest time, had wanted to build what? The temple, but was unable to build the temple. But it's Solomon's turn. Solomon was the man God had chosen to build the temple. So when you're building the temple, you know what you don't do? You never ask the general contractor, how much is that going to cost? Right? 
You never ask how much this is going to cost. You, never, you don't worry about uh, keeping receipts. You don't worry about finding deals. You just do what the Lord says. If he says build this out of solid gold, you know what you do? You build it out of solid gold, right? If it's the finest of cloth, the finest of linens, the finest of silver, I don't know what was going on at this time, right, in terms of what makes things the finest, but whatever the finest was, if that was meant to be there, it was going to be there, right? And so God answers this prayer in a powerful way. But verse 11, God answered Solomon because this was in your what? Your heart. That was an easy question. Um, here's what I want to do with this part, though. We need to ask the why. Like, so why does God answer Solomon's prayer? Well, it's because God has, Solomon has a humble heart. Um, then the next question, though, it needs to be, though, is um, how do I get a humble heart? Like, how do I know I've got a humble heart? And I want to break down some cultural perceptions on this one. Um, I've always kind of understood things to be such that if I admit that I'm humble, I'm automatically what? Prideful. So then I never admit that I'm humble, and I'm, apparently I'm just prideful if I even think this. And so we then avoid, I think, altogether this topic of humility because, well, if I start to think of myself in these terms, right, if I start to think of myself being able to achieve these kinds of things like humility, well, surely then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be prideful. And I don't want to be prideful, and I certainly don't want you thinking I'm prideful. And so we just kind of drop it, right? And I want to change this. I want to change this perception I want to redefine what humility is. See, because humility, I don't think, is as complex as we have made it out to be. So the secret of secrets, humility is the soul of true prayer, as Andrew Murray says. Well, what does it mean to have a humble heart? How do I have a humble heart? Well, I think this is how. Um, it means, a humble heart means um, that you have the ability to admit who you are, in light of who God is, right? So simply put, humility says, I am a sinner and God is perfect. Humility says, God knows everything and I don't. Humility says, when I talk to God, it might be a little awkward because me talking to God as a sinner, talking to God who is perfect and holy and just, there might be a little bit of a disconnect here. Like he can't really relate. And yet at the same time, God meets us right where we're at because he wants to relate. He wants to have a relationship. He wants to talk to us. And so what I need us to accept isn't that you aren't prideful, right? Isn't that you're able to somehow manage what God has given you really well and so he's just a really humble guy, right? No, it's, the, it's an actual, it's a thought process. It's, it's a posture of your heart. You are well aware of who God is and you're also very well aware, well aware of who you are. That sets the necessary conditions and the necessary environment for you to talk to God freely and often without any hindrances because you're gonna know. Here's the one caveat though. I'll give it to you. If I was then sending you to talk to God, not knowing how God was going to respond or receive you as a result of you humbly approaching him, that would be kind of terrifying. 
okay? So if my people humble themselves, pray, seek my faith. Well, if seeking his face, man, I don't know how he's going to respond to me. This could get real awkward. But see, the promise for us, though, the promise is that he never returns our humility with humiliation. When we approach God with humility, he will never Show me one verse in the Bible where he returns our humility with humiliation. Instead, he receives us. He welcomes us. In fact, this is the only condition in which he's really after. What kind of heart do you have? Do you think that you're equal with me? Do you think that your ways are as good as my ways? Do you think that your plans are as good as you, my plans? Do you think that, that your timing is as good as my timing? See, Solomon knew well the very character of God. And as a result of him knowing the character of God well, see, his heart was humble before the Lord. Solomon could have resided and rested in what he could provide his people in a loving way, but instead he said, you've loved my father, David. He could have said, based on my own sovereign power as king, right, I can have control. I can generate my own will, but instead he understands full well The only reason why he is king is because God has made him king, right? And so his posture before the Lord is that of humility. With that in mind, what I want to do, with that in mind, is I want to go back and I want to kind of put to test um, what I've said. Uh, I think that humility and the humility of our heart is at the source of our conversation and our relationship with God. I think that what it means to be humble is to be well aware of who I am in light of who God is. And then I want to go back now and I want to look at maybe some of the little minor details in the very same verses that we've read so far. And I want to look at the ways in which Solomon is acknowledging who God is in light of who he is. So we go back and we go back to 2 Chronicles 1.8 and he says here, he says, um, you have shown great and steadfast what? Love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. See, Solomon is affirming that God is love. But we can't stop there. Um, When you acknowledge that God is love, as Christians, we understand that the Bible is about the redemptive activity of Jesus of Nazareth from beginning to end. It's telling a gospel story. And so for us, when we're talking about God being love, um, we have this personified in Jesus Christ. In 1 John 4, 7, I'll read it so that you guys don't all have to go there because we're going to go to three different places and I'll feel too bad. So 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That is right. And so you have shown great and steadfast love, Solomon says to David, my father. In this, jumping back to 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He loved David. He loved Solomon. Solomon knew this. Of course you're going to be humble when you know who God is in light of who you are and who loves you. So he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, as John often says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, Solomon is seeking wisdom to lead heavenly people, and he's going to do so based on God's character, which is love, because God is love, and so he will love his people. He wants, he wants wisdom because he wants to love these people. See, what is driving the humility of Solomon's heart is the condition whereby he knows who God is, and God is love. And as a result of this, he will function as king. The second is, he says, you have shown great and steadfast love to David my father in verse 8 and have made me king in his place and have made me king in his place. Solomon is affirming the attribute of God whereby he is sovereign. God's sovereignty is different than his providence. We'll get to this in a moment. God's sovereignty is his right to control all things. His providence is the means by which he controls all things. And so here, Solomon is making a statement and saying, God, you are sovereign. You are love and you are sovereign. You have made me king. This is the kind of humble heart Solomon has. He knows who God is, sovereign, and he knows who he is, not sovereign. Which I love because in John chapter 1, Starting in verse 1, in these three verses, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is talking about who? The personal Word of God, right? Jesus Christ. So in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. What? Right? See, Solomon which makes it kind of interesting going back to him calling out for wisdom, right? Calling out for Jesus in a sense, just to have fun with that, right? But, but what I don't want you to miss is that God's attributes on display here are twofold. There's more, but there's twofold so far. God is love, God is sovereign. This is forming some of the foundation by which we're understanding Solomon's humble heart. Solomon knows who God is. He's well aware of who God is, and he's very aware of who he is which makes sense then why God would answer such prayer. Then in verse 9, it says this, O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. Solomon knew this, probably talked to his old man. David wanted to build this. So this wasn't because like David was like, hey, I'm really excited for you. I want to wait, and I think, I think you should build the temple, right? David wanted to build this temple. Right? The answer was no. This is God's timing. 
Humble people wait for God's timing. Um, But so the answer is no. So instead it's Solomon. And so now Solomon, knowing this, says, well, let your word to David my father now be fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. See, this was language. Dust of the earth, sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. Like God always used this kind of imagery when he was talking about this nation with which he would build. Right? These people with which he would rise up. And they would always be so numerous, but it was always so interesting in the Old Testament. But when he would tell this to the people, hey, your people will be as numerous as stars in the sea, or stars in the sky. Why the sea? I don't know. Right? But your people will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. They're looking around like, well, there's like one, two, three, four, right? So this was a promise that they had to wait to fulfill, right? God was going to fulfill this in his own time. Now the declaration is by Solomon, look, you've made this people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Let's build your temple. Now is the time. So Solomon affirms not only that God is sovereign and that he has made him king, but now we're dealing with God's timing, the means by which he fulfills all things. So God's sovereignty is his right to control all things, and God owns this, right? But he also has the ability to bring about things the way that he so chooses. This we call his providential care of the world. And so here, we're seeing this fulfillment language, and so Solomon will then now go build this temple, but what I don't want us to miss is that we're we're, we're seeing yet another one of God's attributes, another one of the ways in which Solomon is saying, I know who you are, and I still know who I am. You've made me king, and now it is such a time that we build this temple Because he says Solomon, right, Solomon affirms that God is providential as he has fulfilled according to his plan that his earth would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Well, now we need to go back to Jesus, though, right? We need to go back to Jesus because in Colossians, in John, we learned that Jesus is the author of creation, that all things were created through him and by him. Wow. Then in Colossians, we actually see the means by which God upholds the universe. He says, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Jesus all things were created. We just saw that in John 1. In heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions over rulers or authorities. Um, Was Solomon a ruler and an authority, by the way? Yes. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. But watch this in 17 of Colossians 1. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. So when you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 9, and we understand that David, this word to David, which is now going to be fulfilled in Solomon, now is the timing, now is God's timing, but we also know maybe even more particularly, now this is Jesus' timing, Right? This is the next phase in the redemptive story of Jesus of Nazareth as the story continually unfolds from Genesis to Revelation. And so we have love, attribute of God. 
Because remember, if we're going to have a humble heart, it's okay. You can be humble. Because all humility says is, is I know who God is and I know who I am. Right? This is what humility says. So God is love. God is sovereign. uh, And God is providential. Right? God is love. God has the right to control all things, and God also has uh, the ability to bring about those means through his desired ends. We've also looked at though, how Jesus is love, the greatest demonstration of love and manifestation. We also see that Jesus is sovereign and that he's also providential as well. And so, in 2 Chronicles 1, verse 11, why did Solomon get these prayers answered? Um, And this is, just underline this in your Bible, commit this to memory. I don't care what you do with this, right? But because this was in your heart. When you're praying and you want to talk to God and you're wondering, how do I talk to God? I want to pray, right? There's a circumstance or something that I need to address with it. Like, because this was in your heart, what is in your heart? What is in your heart? Is it humble or is it not? Do you think that your love is greater than God's love? Do you think that your sovereign plan is better than his plan? Do you think that your means about bringing this about is better suited if if it just happens how you want it to happen? Or do we trust that God is love, that he's sovereign, and that he's providential? There begins, right, the birth pains of humility and of this humble heart. Okay, we got one more. In verse 10, he says this, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Um, Solomon's request. Um, Robin Williams comes out of the genie, out of the bottle, uh, and his response is, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to lead this people Um, Humble people ask for wisdom. Prideful people ask for wealth. Prideful people ask for possessions. Prideful people ask for a long life, right? Prideful people, um, they they want to measure their will against God's will. A humble heart instead says, Lord, give me wisdom for as long as I live, for as long as you put me in power, for as long as I lead these people, I need wisdom to lead them. In 1 Corinthians 1, we got a fun word. Use this word on somebody later on. Omnisapience, right? God is omnisapient. means that he's all wise. I only use the fancy word because we're talking about the attributes of God, right? So God is love, God is sovereign, God is providential, and he's omnisapient, right? He's all wise. So by the declaration of Solomon asking God for wisdom, he was saying, God, I know who you are. And I need some of what you got. I need wisdom. I need your love. I need your sovereignty. I need your providence. I need your wisdom in order to lead these people. Would you help me? Which is great because then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 20, look at how Jesus is described. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? I don't want to talk to the debater of this age. 
That doesn't sound fun. He has, um, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. But we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the what? The wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when we read in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, right, if we can, well, no, not, not if, we, if we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways, then the Lord will respond. See, what we're responding to, though, is the reality that, see, in that scene right there, you have kings, kings seeking wisdom because there's armies that want to destroy them. So kings not looking strong but weak in their people's eyes are instead appealing to God and God's wisdom than for their own provisions, their own security that they can provide. And so the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so Jesus, described as the wisdom of God. So there's a couple different ways in which we can go about um, this humility. Because look, for me, success or failure is you leaving here and still thinking that if I, if, if I actually pursue humility, that I'm prideful. If you still walk out of here thinking this, then I've failed. So don't tell me that. Um, but if you leave here understanding that, look, what God desires most is that I be humble. And that what it means for me to be humble is for me to be well aware of this is who God is and yet this is who I am, and yet God still wants to have a relationship with me. God still wants to use a wretched, depraved sinner like me to advance his kingdom, that he still wants to use wretched and depraved sinners like you uh, to change the world. That's amazing, but it, it requires a humble heart, and so how do you have a humble heart? Well, in this instance, just, just in this instance, so this isn't an exhaustive list, but just with this example, we understand that God is love. So this is what drives our love, right? That God is sovereign, and so we trust his right to control all things. God is providential, that, that his means are better than my ideas. The ways, his ways are better than my ways, and then that he's wise, that I need wisdom. I need godly wisdom. I need Christ-like wisdom. I need Jesus in order to accomplish anything, Right? Well, now we're well on our way to humility. And there's nothing prideful about that because in each of those instances, I'm fully and completely dependent upon Christ in order to achieve that. So I have nothing to boast in. I have nothing to boast in and I've got a humble heart. That's all I got for you. So I'm gonna pray. Um, God, I love you. Jesus, thank you so much for just revealing yourself to us, uh, for saving us, um, for offering us your love, for providing your sovereignty, your providential care, that it is by your very hand that you uphold this universe. 
and that you're so wise and that you give of your wisdom so generously. God, our desire is to have a humble heart, not a prideful heart. So I pray against whatever means and ways the devil might try to trick us or to persuade us that such a pursuit is somehow not of you. We know who we are. And so we're in complete need of who you are. And so as we begin this process of embracing the humility of our hearts, would you please break down any of these barriers, hindrances, distractions, but then instead just meet us as you often do with grace, with mercy, and teach us. Teach us your ways. And so we love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.